This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Sergeant Joe Friday is about to take a tour of his duties protecting the citizens of Los Angeles. The role is beautifully acted by Jack Webb, who, as well as the producer of the Dragnet series, is perhaps the most famous and influential police procedural drama in media history. The series gave audience members a feel for the boredom and drudgery, as well as the danger and heroism of police work. The program earned praise for improving the public opinion of police officers as well. Jack Webb's aim in Dragnet was for realism and unpretentious acting, and he achieved both goals. And Dragnet remains a key influence on subsequent police drama in many media. The show's cultural impact is such that after seven decades, elements of Dragnet are familiar to those who have never heard or seen the program. The uh, ominous four-note introduction to the brass and timpani theme, it's uh, titled Danger Ahead, composed by Walter Schumann. It's instantly recognizable. We'll hear that very shortly to be followed by the episode, The Big Badge. The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes, brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to homicide detail. For two months, a depraved criminal has been at work in your city. Men and women have been robbed, brutally attacked. Your job, get them. the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Wednesday, March 7th. It was cloudy in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Thad Brown, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. I was on the way home from the office, and it was 2.25 a.m. when I got to Collis Avenue, number 4656. Joseph? Is that you? Yeah, Ma. Did I wake you? Well, what time is it? A little after 2. Oh, you can't keep this up. You've got to have your bed. Don't worry. I'm okay. You got any cold meat in the icebox? There's some pressed ham, a few slices of bologna. Didn't you have any dinner? A couple of hamburgers and a piece of pie. I got hungry again. 
I had some nice beef stew for dinner. There's some left in the icebox. I'll come down and warm it for you. No, no, all I want is a sandwich, Ma. You go on back to sleep. I'm working all hours. First thing you know, you'll be getting sick. You need your food and you need your rest. Nobody cares when you're sick. You didn't have to get up, Ma. All I want is a sandwich. I can fix it. You better have a bowl full of stew. Here, don't take a minute to warm it up. Nice new potatoes in it. Some of those onions you like, too. Like Bermudas. Okay, not too much now. I'll get the milk. Half past two in the morning. What kept you so late again? Another stakeout. Same job. Another murder in Highland Park? No, Ma, the badge bandit. The one that poses as a policeman. Oh, that one. You certainly ought to do something about him. Yeah, well, I'm trying to. I can't find him. There was a piece in the paper about it tonight. They say it's just terrible the way he beats up people and robs them. Yeah. Badge bandit. The way he treats women. I'd be ashamed. They ought to put him away. Well, you got some more rye bread? Mm-hmm. Are you going to have tomorrow off, Joseph? Thanks. No. The captain says we work straight through till we get the guy. Oh. I thought you were going to have tomorrow off. Mm-hmm. Oh, you ought to tell the captain. You need your rest. You can't go on like this working all hours. You'll be coming down sick one of these days. Mm-hmm. Fifteen robberies. Fifteen assaults, all in two months. Somebody's got to stop them. You ready? Oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, can't they warn the people? They wouldn't be getting robbed and beaten up if they weren't parked in those lonely places. Spooning so silly. Yeah. I'm afraid we can't do anything about that, Ma. It's a big place. we got a right to park there. Yeah, I suppose. Let me have your plate. No, hold it, hold it. That's fine. Another spoonful. You can't work if you don't eat. Mmm, okay. it is good stuff. Yeah, sure it is. But your down shop right's nice. His stewing beef's just wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ben work late with you? Yeah, his wife's sore too. He hasn't been home much since we started on this. It's a tough one. Oh my! Well, times certainly have changed since I was a girl. All this robbing, beating up, crazy people. No. Any mail today? No, there's a couple of bills. Mm. Well, you set the alarm. I got to check back in at 8 in the morning. 8 o'clock? Why so early? Badge man has got two more victims tonight. They're college kids. Oh. Doctor said he didn't think we should talk to him tonight, so we'll have to see him tomorrow morning oh. at the hospital. Were they badly injured? Well, pretty bad. A boy took a terrible beating. A girl was attacked, same as the others. Oh, my... Well, it's very good, Ma. I better get to bed. Yes, well, your face looks so thin. You need all the rest you can get. I'll get it. Now, who can that be? It's almost three in the morning. Hello? This is Lorman down Homicide, Joe. Sorry to bother you. Yeah, Lorman. What is it? Captain wants you and Mara to meet him in Hollywood and Laurel right away. What's the matter now? Attack and hold up in Laurel Canyon 20 minutes ago. Yeah? Got the area blocked off. Figure they got the man trapped. The victims get out and look at the guy? Same description, the badge bandit. <laughs> I left the house, went over and picked up Ben. We drove out to the edge of the Santa Monica Mountains where Hollywood Boulevard ends and Laurel Canyon begins. We headed back into the canyon to the blockaded area. Captain Steed from Homicide was there waiting for us. Hi, Skip. Hi, uh, just a minute. 
Taylor, call communications again. Have them tell the men out on Ventura to start moving in. Right, Captain. Sorry to call you back. Couldn't be helped. Okay. How's it shaping up? Three, Look, wait a search detail in vicinity of Laurel Canyon. Unit 62K reports that they are at Mulholland Drive and Oakstone Avenue. Nothing further to report. Okay, no what did you say, Joe? So how's it shaping up? Well, here's a sketch of the area. It covers just about all the Laurel Canyon district. Yeah. Badge bandit got his victims near the top of this hill here. Mm-hmm. Old man in the neighborhood heard a woman scream and phoned in. How sure are we the guy didn't get away? Well, the man who called in said the bandit had trouble starting his car. Finally, he left it and took off into the brush. He was headed west down this road here. Captain, mm-hmm. I just had a call from the communications. The crew from Leighton Prince are on the way. All right. Any report from the detail up on Canyon Road? Nothing yet. I'll stand by the radio. Okay. How much area we got to cover? Now, from the mouth of the canyon here, all the way back to Ventura Boulevard. On the west here, from Lookout Mountain Avenue over to Crestview Drive on the east. How much have we got to go on? Crowley talked to the victims for a minute before they took them to Georgia Street. Yeah. The guy's description's the same. Heavy set, blonde hair, chubby face, horn rimmed glasses. Mm-hmm. Well, if he's on foot, there's plenty of underbrush around here to hide him. Just a minute, I want to get this call in first. Taylor, have communications contact 72K. Tell them to hold their line stationary. Yeah. We'll have the others closed in from the west and the north. Right. You two better get up on Groven Drive. Line's pretty thin up there. Olsen will use the help. Is that the area where you've been in the car? Yeah. I want you to cover all the houses in that area. Check with everybody you can find in the neighborhood. They may be able to help. If they don't answer, find out why. Okay. I'll be making the rounds in another ten minutes. Check with you then. All right. Let's go, Oh, Joe. one more thing. Yes, sir. I'll tell you what I told the rest of the men. This guy's in the corner and he's got a gun. There's only one way out for him. Make sure it's not you. 3.45 a.m. Ben and I drove up to Groveland Drive and joined the search. We started our house-to-house canvas of the neighborhood where the suspect had abandoned his car. None of the residents had any further information to give us. 4 a.m. We kept on checking. 23 hours. Long shift. Yeah. I could use some sleep. Wife of mine is boiling mad. She's even mad at the kid. Yeah? What's the trouble? Oh, aunt of her sent down some flower bulbs from Oregon yesterday. Gladiola bulb. Yeah. Kid was playing with a little girl next door yesterday, and they found a box of flower bulbs. They put the mess of them in a pot of water and boiled them on the stove. What'd they do that for? Who knows? There's another house up ahead. We better check it. Yeah. We ought to get some street lights up here. Yeah. That's nice work. Waking people up in the middle of the night. Oh, I don't like it any more than they do. Wish we could make them believe that. Hmm. Nice neighborhood up here. Wonder what the price is on these lots. Well, it shouldn't be too high. They say real estate's coming down. Mm. Yeah, what is it? Police officers. Sorry to disturb you. We'd like to talk to you a minute. Oh, all right. Let me get the door open. What's been going on in the neighborhood tonight? Some kind of trouble? Cars racing up and down the hill? What's the trouble? Have you noticed any strangers in the neighborhood last hour? No, I just got to bed 20 minutes ago. I work out at Paramount. We're shooting nights. What's all the commotion anyway? We're looking for a suspect. He's supposed to be around this area. Well, I haven't seen anybody. I thought I heard somebody out of the garage a few minutes ago. Went out and looked around, but I didn't see anything. Did you check to see if your car is still in the garage? No, I left it in the driveway. No, sir, there's no car in your driveway. Sure there is. Let me show you. Hey, it's gone. Can we use your phone? Yeah. Yeah, but I saw it just a few minutes ago. The the, the car was right there in the driveway. You think that guy took my car? Yes, sir, it's a pretty good bet. 
You got your license number handy there? No, I don't remember it. I got it on a card in my wallet. Give me communication. Can you give us a description of your car? It's a Plymouth sedan, it's black. Two door sedan with search detail, Laurel Canyon. I've got some new information for all units in the detail. Here's the license number. Mm, thanks. Uh, will you broadcast this information to all units in the search detail? What was the make and model of your car? 46 Black Plymouth, a two-door sedan. Uh, 1946 Black Plymouth, two-door sedan, license number... Let me see. Oh, uh, 7 X-ray 2569. This car's just been stolen from 10211 Groveland Drive. Any identifying marks on the car? Well, I left my keys in it. No, no, sir. I mean, any special markings on the car? Maybe a dent in one of the fenders? Well, uh, Here, George, hold on. We're getting it. Uh, the right headlight went out on me last night. I haven't had it fixed yet. The right headlight on the car is out. Notify all units in the search detail that we believe suspect is now in possession of this car. All right, thank you. Let's go. It must have happened in the last 15 minutes. I heard that noise and I went out to check. The car was there then. Well, here's our card. We'll be checking with you later. Yeah, I sure hope you find it. I don't know how I can get to work tomorrow without my car. Yeah, we'll notify you. Yeah, gee, I sure hope you find it. Thanks for your help. Well, then. Groveland Drive. The right headlight is out. Oh, we got it. Yeah. I don't think he could have gotten that car through the blockade yet, you. Mm-hmm. Better start searching the side roads, huh? Yeah. There's one. Leading off to the left, up ahead. Okay, let's try it. Wait a minute. There's a car coming down the hill toward us. Joe is making time. Joe. Only one headlight on the car. coming right at us. Turn around, quick. There's no room. Get over to the inside. I can't. It's too late. Then turn. Hang on. We're going over. Attention, all units. Special attention, all units in search detail. Kennedy of Laurel Canyon. 80K reports theft ben? of a 1946... You all right? Ben. ...in the five columns. was called, and Ben and I were taken to Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. There I received emergency treatment for multiple cuts and bruises and a sprained left shoulder. Ben didn't do so well. He had a possible concussion, two broken ribs, and a half a dozen severe cuts about the face and arms. We were then taken to the P&F ward. The next afternoon, we had a visit from Captain Steed and Chief of Detective Ad Brown. Friday, how you feeling? Oh, pretty good, Chief. You saw Romero across the hall. You came out better than he did. Yeah. That's what I hear. You resting any? Oh, much better. No danger involved. Needs rest, that's about all. How long? Oh, he'll be here two weeks, according to the doctor. What about you? A couple of days. Too bad, Joe. Badge bandit? Yeah. We feel like you two got banged up for nothing. Oh? After he rammed your car, he ditched the black Plymouth, and then we figure he hit with the underbrush. Yeah. Somehow, while we were hauling you and Ben out of that wreck, he slipped through the line. Any fingerprints on the car? None we could use. It's rotten luck. I guess it was his night, huh? We're getting more men from Metro Division to help out. Mm-hmm. And we're doubling the number of decoys around the city. Police women, huh? And we'll have each of them planted in a parked car along with an officer in every area of the badge bend that's been working. All he has to do is grab at the bait once. Yeah, if he goes for it. He'll have plenty of time to choose. We work the same setup every night till we reach him. It's a big operation. Might have to run it for weeks unless he quits. Well, there's only one way a guy like that ever quits. Yeah. When we stop him. Saturday, March 10th, 2 p.m. I was released from the PNF ward and went home. Ben stayed on at the hospital. 
He had at least another ten days to go before release. Sunday, I spent at home. Monday afternoon, I checked back in at the office, and Captain Steed put me on decoy duty for that week, along with policewoman Dorothy River. We were assigned to cover an isolated parking area near Mulholland Drive and Beverly Glen. It was a nice view, but the duty was slow. No sign of the badge bandit. Policewoman River and I waited it out from late evening to early morning, from Monday through Thursday. Friday night came. Same thing. We waited. How's Ben? You see him today? Yeah, he's doing fine. Be out next week. Grouchy, I guess. Oh, sure. You want a cigarette? Thank you. You sure tell it's Friday night. Yeah. Mm, thanks. College kids are out in force. Mm-hmm. What time you got? Mm. A quarter to two. Long nights. Yeah, slow. And cold. No, are you? Mm, just a little. It's chilly up here in the early morning. What's that? A car full of kids just pulling out. Are the cars gone too? Nope. Yeah. We're the only ones left. Uh, Stakeout's got on your nerves. So look, if you're cold, you can have my coat. It doesn't bother me. No, no, it's all right, Joe. Thanks. It's a beautiful view from up here, isn't it? All the lights. Yeah. You like to dance, Joe? I said, do you like to dance? Oh, once in a while, I guess. I'm not too good. Why? Well, our club's having its big annual dance weeks from Saturday. Yeah? Might get a kick out of it. It's formal. Well, it leaves me out. I don't own a tux. <laughs> you could rent one. It'd be fun. Nah, I'm afraid I don't look good in a tux. I never met a man who thought he did. Why don't you try it? I might be working. Well, I mean, if you're not working, why don't you come? You going? Well, I was planning on it. Got a date? <laughs> yeah. I have hopes. There's a car pulling in. Let's see. Yeah, parked over in back of us. I can only make out one person in the car. Yeah, looks like a man. I can't be sure. All right, come on. We're closer. We might as well look the part, huh? All right. He's getting out of the car. Is he coming this way? Walking over to the side of the road. He's got a flashlight. Looking around. Hmm. He's built like the badge bandit. Short, heavy set. Yeah, he's turning around. He's got his flashlight on us. He's coming up on your side of the car. I take it easy. You know what to do. Come on, out of that car. Police officer. All right, hold on. Got a gun, Joe. Yeah. Come on, I said out of the car, both of you. All right. All right, drop the gun. Drop it. Tim. Yeah. Now I'll get the cuffs on him. Thanks. I didn't think I hit him that hard. You didn't. I didn't. Policewoman Dorothy River and I took the suspect to Hollywood Division where he was booked on suspicion of robbery. He gave his name as Charles Leon Kirby, age 46. Monday, March 19th, Ben was released from the hospital and checked back in for work. A special show-up was held at which 10 of the 17 victims definitely identified Kirby as the badge bandit. The suspect had finally been apprehended. Now we started the slow process of formally charging the man and presenting our evidence against him to bring him to trial. 10 a.m., Ben and I went across the street to the sixth floor of the Hall of Justice to present our case against Kirby and to obtain a formal complaint against him. We met with Deputy District Attorney Broker. When did you get out of the hospital, Ben? This morning. Sure got sick of that place. Heard about your accident. That guy sure gave you enough trouble, didn't he? 
Yeah, he's still giving us trouble. How's that? He got in a tangle with another prisoner out in the Hollywood division. Yeah? The other prisoner gave Kirby a pretty bad going over. Cut him up and broke his left forearm. They're moving him in an ambulance from Hollywood to the prison ward at the general hospital. When did this happen? Just this morning. I think they're moving him downtown now. Tough one. Now, how about your reports on Kirby? Are they all in order? Here's a summary report. Alleges ten positive identifications containing ten counts for robbery and ten counts of forcible rape. All right. And here are seven other crime reports. Only partial identification on these. Okay. What have you got for corroborating evidence against him? Oh, we went through Kirby's apartment. Found at least a dozen pieces of property that he took from his victims. Mm-hmm. Mostly watches and jewelry. The victims identified every piece we found. Okay, let me get the details on it. No. Excuse me a minute. Sure. Broker speaking. Yes, minute. You, Friday. Thank you. Friday. When? Yeah, right away. Well, that does it. What's the matter? Kirby. He just broke out of that ambulance. You are listening to Dragnet, the case history of a police investigation presented in the public interest by Fatima Cigarettes. word of Kirby's escape came through, the information was broadcast to all points. All available cruiser cars and men were rushed to the escape area, and a door-to-door canvas got underway. All of the men were given mug shots of Kirby together with his description. 11 a.m., Ben and I got back to the office on a message from Captain Steed to meet him in the chief of detective's office. No man in that area until further notice. Check the bus depots in the Union Station. Right. What's the story, Chief? That's what I'm trying to find out. Where do you make the break? Near 4th and Main. Couldn't have picked a better spot. The ambulance had just crossed 3rd and Main when Kirby slugged the guard. The driver was too busy dodging traffic to notice what was going on in back. That's a lousy break. Kirby jumped out of the back end of the ambulance and disappeared in the crowd. No sign of him since. Well, that's fine. It takes us almost three months to reach the guy, and he breaks away on a cheap fluke like that. Well, he doesn't have many friends in town. He's only got one we know of. Mm, yeah. A brother. Kirby stays with him pretty often from what we could gather. His brother lives in a rooming house down on Alameda. Anybody checked that yet? We've got it staked out. The brother works at a box factory in the south end of town. That's covered, too. And he's not going far with a broken arm. What have you got? One shop pulled up 6th Street. Happened a few minutes ago. Yeah? Here's the description of the whole man. Mm. Stocky bill, blonde hair, horn-rimmed glasses, chubby. You were wrong about that broken arm. Come on. 11.20 a.m. Ben and I pulled up at the East Asia pawn shop on 6th Street. Inside, we found the proprietor, Morris Brubaker, lying propped up against one of the showcases. It was an elderly man, and his face and head showed the marks of a savage beating. His wounds were hemorrhaging badly, and ambulance attendants were giving him first aid. We showed him Charles Kirby's mugshot. That's the man. I wouldn't make a mistake. That's him. Was he alone, Mr. Brubaker? Uh, yes, by himself. He has to look at a watch, and when I turned to get it, he kicked me. I fell against the showcase and cut myself. He pulled me in the back room. I didn't even know him. He kept beating me. Easy, Mr. Rebecca. Let me get this conference on. How much did he get away with, do you know? Uh, I'm not sure. A blue suit, blue overcoat, wrap around, and navy blue, both. He, he kept hitting me. All right, me. sir, just take it easy. They'll have you out of here in a minute. He kept hitting me like a crazy man. This is antiseptic. Might sting a little. Okay. What else did he take, Mr. Brubaker? Can you remember? Uh, uh, yes, uh, from the cash register, he, he took money. How much? Thirteen, forty dollars, I can't be sure. When he left your store, did you see which way he was going? Uh, no, he, he, he dragged me in the back room, he locked me in. Ready to move now, Sergeant? Okay. 
I don't know. I, I, I saw him going through the shelves there in the back of the counter. I, I don't know. What'd you keep there? My uh, account books and my gun. A box of shelves, too. You want to take a look, Ben? Yeah. Yes, yeah, sir. Just take it easy. It's only going to be a minute. Your account books are still there? Yeah. He got the gun. 4 p.m. Kirby, alias the Badge Bandit, was still at large. As far as we were concerned, the case was almost back to where it started from 11 weeks before. The suspect was still loose. He was well-armed. was still free to rob, assault, or murder. We had two big advantages. Kirby's possible broken arm, which would need medical attention, and secondly, the lead to Kirby's brother. At 5.30 p.m., we had a report that the suspect was seen purchasing a ticket at a theater box office out on Hollywood Boulevard. We ran it down. It didn't pay off. At 6.15, a taxi driver thought he spotted Kirby boarding an outbound streetcar, Figaro and Pico. Was checked out. No results. At 7 o'clock, Ben and I got something to eat at a drive-in, and we relieved the men on stakeout at the rooming house on Alameda Street, where Kirby's brother was staying. 10 p.m. Midnight. No sign of Kirby. We waited. At 3 a.m., Hanson and Cummings of Homicide relieved us, and Ben drove me home. It was 3.45 when he dropped me off at Collis Avenue, number 4656. Jensen, that you? Yeah, Ma, I didn't mean to wake you. What time is it? Almost four. Oh, my. These late hours, you've got to get your rest, Joseph. We'll be all right, Ma. Got something to eat in the icebox? There's a little cold meat and some cheese in the cupboard. Just want a sandwich. You go on back to sleep. I had some nice meatballs and spaghetti for dinner. I can warm some for you. My, I'm standing working all hours. You just get sick, Joseph, and you'll see. Nobody cares about you when you're sick. I wish you wouldn't get up, Ma. I can fix something. Well, warm up the meatballs and spaghetti. You need something substantial. I get it. 4 a.m. I hope it's not that awful. Hello? Lorman down homicide. Yeah, Lorman. Thought you'd like to know they just got Kirby. Where? At his brother's place about 15 minutes ago. Hanson and Cummings grabbed him. Any trouble? No. Grabbed him before he got to his gun. We just locked him up. Thought you'd like to know. Yeah. Thanks, Lorman. Good night. All right. What was it, Joseph? The office, Ma. They got Kirby, the badge band. Oh, did they? Well, that's nice. Maybe you'll have some time off now. Yeah. Never fails, does it? You work on a case for three months. Leave it for 30 minutes and it's all over. Well, yeah. the food's warm. Is there anything else you want? No, no, that's fine, Mom. You go on to bed. Yeah. Well, all right, Joseph. Now, don't stay up too long. All right. Good night. Good night. Hey, Ma. Yes, Joseph? Have I still got that old tuxedo around? The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. On June 27th, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 87, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. Charles Leon Kirby, alias the Badge Bandit, was tried and convicted in Superior Court on several counts of armed robbery, rape, and assault with intent to commit murder. He was sentenced to life imprisonment. 
After serving one year in the state penitentiary, he was judged insane and committed to the state mental hospital at Mendocino. After two months there, he escaped. Charles Kirby, alias the Badge Bandit, is still at large. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.A. Wharton. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Stay tuned for the Jack Benny Show, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for a visit with that old skinflint himself, Jack Benny. Of course, as part of his acting mystique, he claimed to be 39 years of age, like forever. He continued with his practice until he passed away at age 80 on December 26th of 1974. Jack Benny's estate value, according to a court disclosure the year of his death, the Jack Benny estate was worth... Five million eight hundred fifty-two thousand. That's in seventy-four. That's uh, equal to about thirty million in today's inflation-adjusted dollars. Pretty good for a guy who began to study the violin at age six, and his ineptness at it would later become his trademark. In reality, actually, he was a very accomplished player. Tonight, we hear about Jack having a split personality. The Grape Nuts and Grape Nuts Flake program, starring Jack Benny, with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, and yours truly, Don Wilson. (laughs) You know, when you stay at a hotel and leave word to be called in the morning, and the operator says, uh, 7.30, time to get up. Well, 10 to 1, you just yawn and feel sort of grumpy. But if that operator said, 7.30, time for a delicious grape nuts breakfast, well, I bet you'd jump out of bed with a grin. Yes, sir, crisp, crunchy grape nuts or toasty brown grape nuts flakes make a mighty cheerful start for any morning. For both grape nuts and grape nuts flakes have a malty, rich, sweet-as-a-nut flavor that sure hits the old spot. And both bring you important whole-grain nourishment. Iron, niacin, vitamin B1, plus protein. The kind of nourishment nutrition experts say you need as a part of your adequate breakfast every day. So eat a good breakfast, do a better job. And for good cheer and good nourishment, feature malty-rich grape nuts or grape nuts flakes to swell breakfast treats. Gentlemen, Jack Benny's troop has been away for five weeks during service camps throughout the Pacific Northwest. Jack arrived home late last night and went straight to bed. It's now morning and Rochester is entering his bedroom to awaken him. Come on, come on, Bertie. You have to get off of Mr. Benny's head. I gotta wake him up now. Wait a minute, Bertie. Take your worm with you. <laughs> it's nine o'clock, boss. Boss, it's nine o'clock. I better not stand in front of him. He'll open his eyes, look at me, think it's dark, and go back to sleep again. <laughs> Jack! 
violent again. How can a man torture himself like that? <laughs> no use, I got it. Get him up. Guess I'll have to resort to the old standby. Huh? <laughs> well, what? Who? Who's who? Huh? It's just me, boys. I had to do that to wake you up. Oh. Oh, oh. You know, Rochester, when I get in the arms of Morpheus, old Morph sure holds on. <laughs> Say, I'm pretty sharp this morning, eh? Eh, hey, Rod? Yeah. You not only talk in your sleep, you hearing it. What? <laughs> <laughs> huh? uh, nothing. Say, it's after nine o'clock and your gang will be here pretty soon for rehearsal. Yeah. Stand back, Rochester. I want to do my exercises. One, two, three, four. Bend down and touch the floor. One, two, three, four. Up again and down some more. One, two, three. Rochester, pick up my toupee. <laughs> One, two, three, four. Did you pick up my toupee? One, two, three, four. Caught it before it hit the floor. <laughs> One, two, three, four. Tomorrow I'll do a little more. One. Gee, boss, you're doing your exercise much better these days. You touch the floor every time you bend. Yeah. Now help me up off my knees. <laughs> Thanks. Now, Rochester, I'll take my shower and you go down and make breakfast. Will you? I call a swell breakfast, Rochester. I know, Mr. Benny, and I admire your loyalty to your sponsor, but don't you think that sometimes you go a little too far? What do you mean? Well, after all, boss, soft boiled grape nuts. <laughs> Rochester, they're good any way you fix them. They're toasty brown, they're malty rich, they're sweet as a nut, they're a whole grain cereal, and they're a basic seven food. And they're all... Boy, stop reading off the box and talk to me. Rochester, I'm merely trying to show you that you need a whole grain cereal every day, and you should eat them. Oh, boss, I do. I do. I'm glad. I'm glad. Glad because, uh... Now answer the door, Rochester. You straighten up the kitchen. Uh, if you wish, I'll answer the door and you can... Never mind. <laughs> we'll do it my way. Today. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. Hiya, Jackson. Well, Phil, hey, rehearsal isn't for an hour yet. What are you doing here so early? Well, I just couldn't wait. I had to tell you. Tell me what. Well, you remember when we were in Victoria, Canada, and all the newspapers printed stories that me and Alice had another baby? Yeah, what about it? Well, it's true. It's true. <laughs> I know, I know. Come on in the house. And say, Jackson, my new baby is the cutest thing you ever laid eyes on. Yeah? Does she look like you, Phil? Yeah. <laughs> Guy, she's beautiful. <laughs> well, I can understand that, Phil. After all, you're such an Adonis. Ain't I, though? Hmm. But you know what surprises me most of all, Jackson? What? Little babies are so young. Yeah, especially the young one. And my kid is so tiny. Of course, all babies are tiny when they're first born. How about Don Wilson? <laughs> Look, Phil, Wilson wasn't born. He was assembled at Lockheed. <laughs> Speaking of the flying fortress, here he comes in for a landing. 
Wilson is the only guy I know that comes in on the beam and brings the beam with him. <laughs> hello, Don. Oh, hello, Jack. Am I have time for rehearsal? Oh, sure. Mary isn't here yet. Say, fellas, while we're waiting, uh, would you like a cup of coffee? Yeah, I don't mind. Well, thanks, Jack. I'll have a cup. Oh, Rochester. Yes, boss. Uh, Rochester, coffee for Mr. Wilson and Mr. Harris. Okay. Sugar and cream, gentlemen? Yes, yes thank, thank you. you. Uh, sit right down here, fellas. Would you like some toast with your coffee? No, thanks. Uh, wheat rolls or donuts? No, no thanks. thanks. <laughs> oh, Rochester, turn on the radio. Would you like some music, fellas? No, oh, it doesn't make any difference. Oh, yes, it does. With music, there's a 30% entertainment tag. <laughs> Rochester, that's not my fault. It's a government regulation. Now, turn on the radio and let's have some music. And as our Melody Express rambles southward and approaches New Orleans, our quartet, High, Low, Jack, and Shapiro, <laughs> will entertain you with... Fellas, that's a pretty good quartet. Yeah, I wonder what program that is. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, when you wake up in the morning, do you feel tired, worn out, dull, listless, and logy? You do? Well, don't expect any sympathy from me. I'm a lout. <laughs> but you can get sympathy from my sponsor, the makers of Sympathy Soothing Syrup. Remember, folks, sympathy, spelled backwards, is yatapapus. <laughs> So, folks, if you can't remember sympathy, just think of Yatapamus. Y H T A P M Y S. Yip, yip, yatapamus. Yip, yip, yatapamus. Yip, yip, yatapamus. Hide your blues anyway. Turn off the radio, Rochester. You tap him, miss. I'll have to try some of that. Oh, hello, Mary. Hello, fellas. Hi, oh, Mary. How are you? Mary, how'd you get in the house? The door was open. Am I late for rehearsal? No, we've got plenty of time. I overslept. Rochester, get Miss Livingston a cup of coffee. Yes, sir. No cream, no sugar, no radio. <laughs> okay, okay. Say, Mary, how do you feel after our long trip? Oh, fine, Don. And say, fellas, I must tell you something. I had the wildest dream last night. <laughs> What was it, Mary? Well, I dreamt we were all flying back from Seattle and Jack was the pilot. Me? Yeah. Huh? And right in the middle of the trip, when we were 15,000 feet in the air, you stopped the plane, turned to me and said, Mary, either kiss me or get out and walk. Really? Yeah. 
And if it wasn't a dream, I'd have broken my neck. Me, a pilot, trying to force you to kiss me. And that's not all. When I stepped out of the plane, I kept falling, falling, and falling. And just as I was about to hit the ground, another plane came along, and I dropped right into it. Gee. And guess who the pilot was? Who? You again. <laughs> me? So I jumped out and fell right into a wagon load of fish. Fish? Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> you look so funny lying there with your mouth wide open. <laughs> are making up the whole thing. I am not. Come on, Jackson. Let's get started with our rehearsal. We're going to be late for the broadcast. Okay, wait till I get the script. Oh, say, Jack, before we start, I want to call home. My trunk is supposed to rod today, and I forgot to tell Butterfly about it. Okay. Operator. Oh, operator, get me Crestview 6, 7071. Oh, no, you don't. <laughs> what? You heard me. Now, look here, operator. Will you please... Oh, oh, I forgot, Mary. Mary, give me the phone. Hello, operator. Yes? This is J.B., OK, one local. Uh, put it, uh, put it through. Yes, Mr. Betty, and welcome home. Thank you, thank you. Here you are, Mary. She's getting your number. Okay. This is Miss Livingston. Oh, I'm sorry. I was hoping it was my boyfriend, Jerome. You know, the soldier. Yes, I know. Now, Butterfly Man's going to deliver my trunk, and I want you to pay for it because I had it sent C-O-D. How do you pronounce that name? <laughs> Butterfly, C-O-D is not a name. It means cash on delivery. Like O-P-A means Office of Price Administration. And F-B-I means Federal Bureau of Investigation. My goodness. You have to go through all that just to get a trunk? <laughs> no, no, Butterfly. I was just giving an example of what certain groups of letters mean. Well, Miss Livingston, the only letters I know are A-W-O-L. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exactly what I'm talking about. You know what A-W-O-L means. Yes, ma'am. Well, what does it mean? Jerome is in town. <laughs> Butterfly, let's forget about Jerome for a minute. I guess I'll have to forget about him. He came in town last week and went out with another girl. Oh, that's too bad. I wouldn't mind if she was half as pretty as I am. Oh. But I'm not half as pretty as she is. <laughs> well, don't worry, Butterfly. Jerome will come back to you. Do you really think so? Well, certainly. Maybe Jerome isn't himself right now. You see, Butterfly, everybody has two sides, the good side and the bad side. And once in a while, the good side weakens a little and the bad side predominates. You know what I mean? I think I do, Miss Livingston. When Jerome brings me a box of candy, it's his good side that brings me. <laughs> That's right. But before I even get a chance to taste it, his bad side predominates the whole box. <laughs> <laughs> See, Butterfly, Jerome has two sides. Yes. Half wolf and half pig. <laughs> <laughs> well, something like that. Now, goodbye, Butterfly. Don't forget to pay for the trunk. I won't. Goodbye, Miss Livingston.
Well, you know how to handle her. I certainly got to hand it to you, Mary, giving Butterfly all that hooey about the good side and the bad side. Well, that's not hooey, Jack. Mary's right, Jack. Everybody has two sides. Don, you've got four sides, but that doesn't prove anything. <laughs> two sides. Well, now, this is just what I mean, Jack. You know, everybody has a split personality. It's called uh, schizophrenia. Schizophrenia? Yes, it's... Is it uh... like you tap them this? <laughs> no, uh, schizophrenia, it's, it's... Well, it's that little man inside of all of us that subconsciously governs everything we do. So, you see, Jack, everybody is really two persons. Oh, I don't believe that stuff. He's right, Jackson. Even you have a dull personality. <laughs> that duo, duo... Maybe you believe in that, Phil, but not me. Well, certainly I believe in it. I got two sides to me, too. Oh, fine. There's one side to me that everybody knows. Harris, the show-off, the guy that loves himself, the guy that always wants to be in the limelight. That side I know. Now, what... What? <laughs> What's the other side? Harris, the genius. <laughs> Fine genius. You're the only guy I know who sent flowers to Flat Top Funeral. Besides <laughs> one girl in the time. <laughs> now, let's cut out this silly talk about people having two sides and get started with our rehearsal. Jack, it's not silly talk. Even you have two sides. Oh, what do you mean? Well, generally, you're a nice fellow. But on the other hand, look at the way you treat Rochester. I never saw anybody get so much out of a butler for so little. Mary, are you suggesting that I overwork Rochester and underpay him? That's what she said. That's what the lady said. She said that. <laughs> Rochester, this doesn't concern you. Now, come on, kid. Let's cut out all this gab about two sides and get started with the rehearsal. First thing you know, we'll be late for the... Come in. Yes? Remember me? <laughs> I'm Herman Peabody, the insurance salesman. Oh, hello, Herman! Well, Herman, we just started to rehearse our program for this afternoon. We're awfully busy, so better, maybe you better come back some other time. Huh? All right. Don't need any insurance, do you? <laughs> Not right now. We'll, we'll talk about it the next time you come around. All right. Now, fellas... At the start of the program, right after Don introduces me... You know, you have a lot of funny experiences in the insurance business. Uh, I don't doubt it, Herman. I don't doubt it. But, but right now... Last week, a man wanted oh. some life insurance, and by mistake, I sent him an automobile policy. Well, then, instead of being here, Herman, why aren't you out rectifying the mistake? Too late. The man died. <laughs> That's a fine how do you do. How do you do? <laughs> I don't mean that. Herman, I'm... <laughs> I'm thinking of the man's wife. Now, her husband wanted some life insurance. You gave him a policy for an automobile. The company wouldn't pay off on a thing like that. Oh, they wouldn't at first, but I fixed it. What do you mean? I told the company he died of a rusty transmission. <laughs> You mean to say the company paid off? More than that. They offered to send his wife a new body, but she wouldn't take it. Oh, well, look, Mom, I told you I'm busy right now. Look, we got to rehearse, so come back some other time, will you? All right. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Come here, Herman. I want to ask you something. Yeah? 
Uh, you're a mild-mannered man, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, every day you do exactly the same things, don't you? Uh-huh. I mean, you never lose your temper, do you, Herman? Oh, no. There you are, Mary, and you too, Don. Your whole theory of dual personalities exploded. You can go now, Herman. Would you like to hear about my other side? <laughs> what? There's another side of me that's a mean, conniving, bloodthirsty monster. <laughs> bloodthirsty monster? Did you ever hear of Dracula? Yes. Kid stuff. <laughs> Now, look, Herman, 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 you can go now. We have work to do. Okay, I'm going outside and frighten people. Don. Don, pick him up and let's go on with the rehearsal. All this silly business about two sides. Say, Jackson, it's getting pretty late. Maybe we ought to go over to the studio. Okay, let's do that. Come on, Mary, I'll drive you over. talk about split personalities and two sides. It's ridiculous. All right, Jack. If you don't believe it, forget about it. Let's get the studio. Hmm. Two sides. Jack! Jack, I'll fold your arms and put it back on the wheel. Don't worry. My, my other side is driving. My other side is driving. Be careful, too, you know. Oh, uh, don't be so sarcastic. Well, what are you stopping here for? I'm going into the cigar store. I'll be right out. Hmm. Split personality. Little man inside you. What bunk. Well, sir, what can I do for you? Uh, I'd like a cigar, please. Yes, sir. What kind? Oh, I don't know. I see you haven't got the kind I smoke. I just want something mild. Well, here's a nice mild cigar for a quarter. A quarter, eh? <laughs> and here's one a little stronger for ten cents. I see. Well, gee, I don't know which one to get. This one's a quarter... And that one's ten cents, eh? Yes, sir. Well, I don't know. I like the looks of that quarter one. And yet... You know which cigar you're going to take, Jack Perry. What? You're going to take the ten cent one. You always Yes, but the, the quarter cigar is milder, and it's, it's much better for my throat. A lot you care about your throat. <laughs> Come on, take the ten-cent one, and let's get going. No. No, I won't take it. I want the quarter one, do you hear? I want that quarter cigar. I know you want the quarter cigar. But remember, Jack Benny... If you buy the one for a dime, you save 15 cents. 15 cents, 15 cents, 15 cents, and that ain't hay. 15 cents, and that ain't hay. 15 cents. Stop it! Stop it! 
don't care about the money. I don't care what I say. I want the mild one. Hey, mister, give me that quarter cigar. Yes, sir. Jack. Jackie boy. Reflect a little. That cigar costs a quarter. Two dimes and a nickel. Twenty-five pennies. Think, man. Think. Okay. Hold it. Hold it, clerk. Hold it, please. Make up your mind, will you? Which cigar do you want? Take it easy. I'm in conference. <laughs> oh, I don't know what to do. I want the quarter one. And yet... You know what you're going to do, Jack Benny. You never smoked a quarter cigar in your life, did you? Did you? Yes. Yes, I did. Not a new one. <laughs> it was a new one. What about that time Phil Harris threw a birthday party for me? I smoked three of them right in a row. Phil gave you those cigars. He did not. He did, too. You're a miser, you're a miser, you're a miser, you're a miser. Promo seltzer, promo seltzer, promo seltzer, Stop! Will you please decide which cigar you want? There's another customer waiting. Yes, I'd like to buy a pipe, please. Well, I only have two kinds. Here's one that sells for $8, and this one's $15. i will take the $15 pipe. Here you are. Thank you very much. And now what about you, Sporty? <laughs> What? Have you made up your mind yet? You know, I close at midnight. Well, look. <laughs> Clerk, give me, give me just another minute. I'll decide. 25 or 10 cents. 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 25 or 10 Give me that quarter cigar. No, Jack. You want the ten cent one. The quarter one. The ten cent one. The quarter one. The ten cent one. All right. All right. Give me the ten cent one. I'll take it. I'll take it. I knew this would happen to me. I knew it. I knew it. Hey, you know, Mary? What? I was just thinking. You know, there might be something to that split personality thing after all. Maybe there is such a thing as a person having two sides. Oh, you believe it now, eh? What happened in the cigar store? Oh, nothing. Nothing. chance solve mysteries? Mysteries? Well, uh, Herman, I, I might. What is it? 
Well, it's my wife. She won't talk to me in the morning. In the morning, you say? Yeah. At breakfast, she just sits... At breakfast, you say? Yeah, she just sits... Why, and... Herman, you should cheer her up with grape nuts. Oh, did you say crispy, crunchy, moldy rich grape nuts? Yes, I mean, no, no, I, I was going to. And delicious grape nuts bring you all around whole grain... Grape nuts bring you whole grain nourishment, the kind you need every day. Iron, niacin, extra vitamin B1. Did you say that? Well, I was just coming to that. Grape nuts make a grand basic breakfast dish, and everybody should and eat... everybody should eat a good breakfast to a better job. Did you say that? Well, I was going to say it, Herman. And grape nuts are a swell thrifty. They're thrifty by in a big little 12-ounce package. Now, listen, Herman. I want you to solve a mystery for me. If you know all about delicious, malty-rich grape nuts, why don't you see that your wife eats them for breakfast? Why, she does, Mr. Wilson. That's just the trouble. She's so busy enjoying her grape nuts, she won't talk to me. Oh, I see. Well, Herman, there's no mystery about that. Goodbye, now. Well, folks, this concludes another half hour. We'll be with you next Sunday night at the same time. Say, Mary, what would you think of the show? Pretty good. I wish my mother had heard it. Why, doesn't she listen to our program? Yeah, but she always tunes out early. How early? About November. <laughs> oh, well, then maybe she missed it. I know. Good night, folks. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Escape, followed by Burns and Allen. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell, Paul Stringer, and Justin Eacock for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. Stay tuned for Ziggy and Stardust next on Zoomer Radio. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.